Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, analytics with interesting guests. Uh, topics of the day, new topics. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom. Joseph, good to be back with you. Yep. It, it feels like we've done very few together the last few months. I think a, technically that's true. So A, a lot of FOMO, I think. A lot of FOMO. <laughs> Mutual FOMO. And we both got haircuts. Is that such a thing? Mutual know. FOMO? Mutual FOMO. Um, so. Yeah, and I'm really sorry you missed the one we did last Dan time Cohen. with Dan. Because yep. I know uh, you and I had been trying to get Dan on the show for yep. since we started. Yep. Which, by the way, we're approaching our three-year anniversary. We are, and it's hundred, almost 130 in now. I wow. Think, so. Okay. So we've anyway. been averaging about 43 per year. Yeah, which is All good. Right. More than Alec Baldwin, and here's the thing, by far. So. <laughs> anyway. his new TV show. <laughs> yep. Which has already been relegated to Saturday nights. So speaking of numbers, we're gonna, I'm going to throw out a couple numbers, Tom. Um, 31, 800, 6.1, 320,000. Four, nine, eighty-two, sixty-five, ninety-eight, four, fifty. What do they all have in common? That's the winning prize number for Powerball. Uh, it is nobody won. Because literally, no yeah. one listening would know what those numbers mean right. in in the aggregate. But now we're going to put together. them in context. Okay. But you you need to, to offer some better clues. I would say. Um, nah. Why? <laughs> so if you want anybody to, they guess. all kind of tie to Columbia Athletics in some way. And we're here in the athletics office with the director of athletics, Peter Pilling, who on his wall has some of the kind of barometers for academic and athletic success. But some of the biggest ones were the first two numbers I talk about, 31 sports, over 800 athletes. And sitting at the helm of all that is the King Lion himself, Peter Pilling. <laughs> King Lion. Yeah. Thank you. I just enjoyed listening to you two talk. I was just <laughs> going to sit do. back and yeah. forget having me as a guest. Yeah. You guys yeah. just banter way, for a while. It just occurred to me, this is the first time we've had an athletic director yes, it on is. the podcast. We've had, with, so, with all deference, we've had former athletic directors like Joe Quinlan. Yes. Um, but yes, the first acting, sitting in the chair athletic right. director. A correct. sitting yes. athletic director. So, my, my pleasure to be yeah. here. Yes. Great to have you. Um, Columbia is coming off a historic football season, the first time in 54 years, back-to-back winning seasons. Um, national championships in fencing, unbelievably competitive teams in various sports from rowing to basketball, um, and really has kind of undergone a pretty interesting transformation, especially in the last few years, as to where from a business standpoint and an alumni standpoint, Columbia is gone. Um, but I think before we get to that, how did you get here? And, 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 you know, now that you are the athletic director, third year or second year? Uh, actually, in February, will be the start of my fourth year. Fourth year. So it's, it's gone very yes. quick. So most people come and go at Columbia for four years, and you're still here. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, but, but to get to Columbia, you've had a pretty interesting path along the way. Why don't you kind of take us through it, and then we'll get into kind of the business of Columbia. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I was an undergrad at BYU. I majored in accounting and actually went and worked for a CPA firm for a while. While I was at BYU, I... I worked in the athletic department, just volunteered, wanted to get my feet wet in terms of college athletics, knew I wanted to at some point um, enter that as a career, and then went back and got my master's at Ohio University uh, in sports administration program, which I don't know if you guys know, actually has a unique Columbia tie to it. Dr. Mason, who started the program at Ohio University back in the early 60s, 
was a graduate student at Columbia. Really? And How did we not know that? I don't job? know. That's one I didn't know. <laughs> and actually, Thank you had for a, letting oh, us know no that. problem. I'm good for occasional meaningless <laughs> trivia. Uh, and then he actually was had conversations with Walter O'Malley about the lack of sport administrators in, really? in training, in collegiate training and education. Wow. Back This is back, back in the 60s. Back in the 60s, wow. yeah. And so Dr. Mason uh, had a conversation with some administrators at Columbia about potentially starting a program, and they just didn't think it fit the you know, the Which it still does parameters <laughs> here. Oh, come on. <laughs> Although, yeah. no, phenomenal yeah. sports management program now. But anyway, then went to Ohio University and started the program, and it was the first sports management degree yeah. program started. I was very fortunate to be there. Started my journey in college athletics, was an intern at the University of Kentucky, Rick Pitino's second year. I have some good Rick Pitino stories occasionally. So were you in Philadelphia when... Um, Christian Leitner made the shot. No, so I was an intern. They were okay. still on probation when I was there. Okay. It was the John Pelfrey in those John days? Pelfrey, yeah. that's right. Uh, and so um, then started my journey, worked in a number of different schools. Where I was fortunate enough to work at Villanova for a number of years, worked at St. Bonaventure, and then went uh, back to BYU as the senior associate athletic director. Then was fortunate to, with Ben Sutton, who started ISP Sports, to get in on the business side. I worked with ISP, and then the ISP was purchased by IMG, was a regional vice president, oh, okay. oversaw a number of our schools out east, or excuse me, out, out west. And then uh, a random search firm called me about uh, getting back in on the administrative side, and I, uh, I kind of was intimidated by the intellectual uh, <laughs> value of the Ivy League, but I've always admired what the Ivy League represented and uh, was fortunate enough to come out here and connect with the search committee and President Bollinger and very, feel very blessed to be the athletic director mm -hmm. of Columbia. Just go back to IMG for a second. Um, what exactly were you doing in that job as, as the liaison with five schools, you said? Yeah, I, at one point I had about seven schools, so I worked with a number of schools. And so I was really kind of the liaison overseeing the actual operations of the multimedia rights. So, so it was all mostly related to media? Absolutely. Okay. So within IMG, you know, they have a couple di different right. divisions. Mm -hmm. I worked in the IMG College Division, right. mm -hmm. which was basically in the multimedia rights. And who was running it then? Well, uh, George Pine was running right. IMG right. College, okay. and then Ben yeah. Sutton was running the actual sports division and then uh, we had the the licensing side with CLC too so there was a lot of areas that kind of cross-pollinated in terms of college sports and then would work with the athletic directors I worked with TCU I worked with Baylor uh, the Air Force Academy Gonzaga right. BYU UNLV and so would work with developing long-term relationships extending deals and making sure that our uh, our employees on site were, were doing what they needed to do to make sure the profit was profitable so Peter was part of that job coordinating access to all the different media assets that kind of fed yeah, into absolutely. the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we talk would, about that, because I know it got more complicated during those years. Yeah, you know, other than uh, TV rights, the multimedia rights holders pretty much has everything else, whether it be right. coaches' shows or signage or programming or all the experiential items around a collegiate sport event. And so that's what we would do. And the, the product worked typically when you were in a... Um, almost like a rev share agreement. Sometimes there was either a partnership or there was a vendor relationship. And some of the schools would take their check and thank you and let you do your work. But some of the schools really saw the vision of what you were trying to accomplish and created a win-win partnership. So those were the best scenarios that worked within mm -hmm. that footprint. You know, it's interesting. When I went back, let's see, when I was back to BYU... Uh, in, at the time, in the Mountain West Conference, there was only one school that had outsourced the multimedia rights. And you think about what Jim Host did at University of Kentucky and mm -hmm. kind of launched a multimedia rights business. And now, uh, a few schools have kind of brought it back in-house, but pretty much every school in the country has outsourced their multimedia right. rights. And so when you think about the parameters of it, 
you know, here you have somebody that has an expertise in selling and also has the ability to nationalize everything yes. um, and, and kind of do one-stop shopping. You know, right. when we were at BYU, we didn't have somebody knocking on the doors of ad agencies and, and businesses in New York City. And now through IMG at the time, you know, the national uh, sales team could represent all the various schools that were represented by Yeah, IMG. I mean, thinking back on it, it was pretty visionary of IMG. Yeah, it was absolutely. That together and they're ultimately led, yeah. le leading to the... And the host communications, the, and obviously the, the players now are, are Learfield and, and IMG. And it's interesting, the business has kind of made a, a, a pivot, too, from the standpoint of private capital being involved. Right. Um, and so, you know, there's there's a little bit more emphasis on EBITDA and all the different aspects of making right. sure you hit your numbers with the with the end game of, of, of selling out too. And to be clear, the, 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 the primary business model in those instances was IMG buying the rights with a guarantee. Correct. And then revenue share to create aligned incentives. Yeah, absolutely. So you would okay. define all of your assets that you were able to right. sell. And then there was per certain product categories that you couldn't venture into, but the, you know, it was pretty black and white in terms of what box you lived in and then go out and try to maximize the revenue around that. And then the, the ambition of each property is to hit uh, to where the rev share kicks in because then if you're, you're sitting in the athletic director's chair, you're thinking, okay, I get 50% mm -hmm. of every dollar. And then it, it kind of makes the partnership work. And, and I would imagine that that's kind of evolved, and we should talk about the evolution and even where kind of Columbia fits in that, the media rights space now. Um, but I want to kind of touch on some of those numbers that I threw out because I cheated and they're all on the wall. <laughs> and they need to be updated, right. by the way. They and, need to be updated. And there's also going to be some interesting trivia. So nine members of the baseball, basketball, and pro football halls of fame. That's I still I think that's still probably correct, right? It is. And, and please don't ask me the nine, no. name all night. We'll nine. get so to those. I, I will tell you the little backstory about this. Yeah. I was um, visiting USC. Uh, I was out in Southern California on some uh, development trips, and I stopped by and I introduced myself to Pat Hayden, and I said, can I stop by and spend some time with you? Mm -hmm. And on his wall, he actually called it the parents' wall. And I said, do you mind if I just blatantly steal this concept? So the, the, I, Pat Hayden is the origin of this at USC. And so I meet a lot with, rec with the recruits and their parents, and I can kind of tell the quick you know, USA Today version of what makes Columbia a remarkable institution, mm -hmm. whether it be the, the acceptance rate or whether it be you know, the, the presidents that gone here, or the alumni base, the Nobel Prize winner that needs to be updated to 84 actually right now. But also other than just the academics and the athletics, it's the diversity of this campus the educational mm -hmm. experiences that you have outside of your classroom when you have people from, you know, 65 different countries. So anyway, and then four U.S. presidents, I usually quiz them, and nobody gets those. So, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at the Nobel Prize number. Now you're, you're telling me it's already higher than what's on, on the board. It's going at 84. That's, that's quite impressive. But getting back to kind of the day-to-day, -day, 31 sports, which we're not going to ask you to name the 31 sports, and 800 student-athletes. Um, can you walk people through kind of what the administrative side of that is in terms of coaches, your staff, and how you keep track of both the stories and the involvement of all those athletes in, in a place on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Yeah, what's, what's unique to the Ivy League, unlike any other conference, is the fact that we have a variety of different sports. And when you think about the percentage of the undergraduate enrollment that are student athletes, it's, it's significantly higher the percentage than at most other schools. And so we have 31 sports, Harvard has 42, um, and, and so we, we provide endless opportunities for people to have that part of their educational experience is to compete as a student athlete. 
as you know, the Ivy League doesn't give athletic scholarships, but what we do is we provide admission opportunities and that we support people through the admissions process for all of our, our 31 teams. So our admission, our admission process and our administrative process is very complex from the standpoint of the, the challenges that I think our coaches undertake from a recruiting standpoint. They throw out this broad net and then they have to find student athletes that are very, very good in their particular sport, but are also happen to be very good academically. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of take this shotgun approach and then immediately take this rifle approach. So it's, you know, one of the things that we want to make sure our, our jobs are pretty simple to provide our student athletes the opportunities to be successful in all aspects of their academic and their athletic experience, and then to provide the, the resources for our coaches to win. How do, so, athletic, how do athletic directors determine what should be a new sport added to the mix? A great question. Uh, Someone's going to ask a question about men's lacrosse. No, you know, it's, so, it's actually... So I was going to ask about East No, no, we can we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> we can talk about men's lacrosse. It's the most popular question I get in terms mm -hmm. of why do we not have a particular sport. So, uh, you know, uh, some things are geographical. You would think of specifically about lacrosse that we're, we're kind of in the lacrosse footprint. We're right in the mm -hmm. middle of it. Right. We should have it. And some things are just time, timeliness right. of certain aspects. And then obviously there's an equity aspect of all these different things. So, you know, it's unfortunate we're the only school in the Ivy League that doesn't have men's lacrosse. And, and I selfishly admit uh, I would like to have had it. But at this day and age in terms of, you know, squad size of 45 to 50 on a lacrosse team, how are you going to balance that from an equity standpoint and what sports do you need to add? So mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to do. And then also looking at all of our sports and how, where can we compete for, for championships. Joe mentioned that uh, we had a really banner year last year. We won seven Ivy League championships. We won two national championships. It's the most Ivy League championships we've ever won. So I, I really feel like we have remarkable coaches that are doing uh, an amazing job in terms of getting the most out of our student athletes, in both on the court and in the classroom, and then uh, making sure that we continue to develop their skills to help them be successful in life, if you will. Is the hiring and retention of good coaches your primary job? Yes and no. I mean, I, I think that we thrive when we have good coaches that are educators and mentors and leaders and from all aspects of running their particular sport. And so, we, you know, it's the, the age-old adage, you know, fire fast, hire slow, and we got to make sure we have the right people leading our program. So there's certain attributes that you may look for in terms of when we hire coaches and what we're looking for because we want to make sure that the, you know the successful programs have continuity if you look at what coach Bagnoli's done with the football program you know over the years uh, since he's been here he put together a remarkable staff and then he's maintained the continuity with them and you see how the programs developed over the last uh, four years and what was success that we've we've been having um, is a big part of his just this methodology behind how you put a staff together, how you hire people, and then how you maintain that staff and continue to build upon what we're trying to accomplish in that sport. So when you talk about uh, success, m managing the academic success with the athletic success, there's got to be some really interesting people that have come along who've played some sport at Columbia and have enjoyed the Columbia experience who have now gone on to unbelievably successful things in the business world, whether it's, and some tied to sports like Bob Kraft, obviously, um, and, you know, and you've got an alumnus of the law school in David Stern, and obviously we could talk all day about the late Marcellus Bill Campbell, Wiley, Marcellus Wiley. Um, how do you kind of put all that together, Peter? Like when you hear of you know, a successful student athlete here, 
is there like a database where you can go out and say, oh, you want to go work on Wall Street or you want to go work at the NFL? Here are some people who are tied to Columbia. Is is that part of your job to figure out how to put yeah, those together? Absolutely. So Jessica DePaulo and Brent uh, Walker uh, oversee our what we call our Success Through Wellbeing initiatives, and this is this holistic approach to our student athletes. So we really take upon ourselves a responsibility to help them be prepared for whatever profession or career that they have. So. We've invested a lot of time and resources and, and dollars in that particular area. So if you're a student athlete, you come in and you decide you want to be a doctor, then we take upon the responsibilities to introduce you to that profession. Wow. Uh, we take on the responsibilities to create a mentor relationship with you, with somebody in that field, and then we take on the responsibility to provide opportunities from you from an internship placement. So. We really feel like Columbia is in a remarkable place, the institution is, and, and New York City is in a remarkable place, and we really feel like we have something that nobody else has. Whether you want to study profession X or profession Y, we're, we jokingly say we're five subway stops from a leader in the industry, and mm -hmm. there's a good chance there's a Columbia person there. We've, we uh, undertook this kind of branding campaign a few years back, and we used the term only here. Mm -hmm. We really believe that only here can you have endless opportunities to achieve whatever goals and ambitions you desire. Wow, that's I, I, I'm in. I bought in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thank right, you. Right. Yeah, you've been using that hashtag a lot, <laughs> I noticed. Here? Yeah. It's, um, it, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, it's a simple phrase. It, mm -hmm. We worked with a, a boutique agency in the city, and we came up with kind of three different concepts. I kind of had this you know, success in the classroom, success in competition, success in life. And they came back and they said, what about only here? And I said, boom, let's go. That was, mm -hmm. it was so simple and it resonates with everybody. And you know, there, there's remarkable institutions all over the world, but as Dean Valentini says, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the greatest universities in the world and one of the greatest cities in the world. And we really feel like both are reaching their pinnacle and their, the opportunities it presents. And for us to have contribute to that excellence of this campus with what we're trying to do athletically is really important. And uh, an Ivy League education is a phenomenal opportunity for a young man or a young woman to achieve because it just opens up endless doors. I, to your point earlier, you talked about meeting people. Um, you know, I, I had a friend of mine when I took the job, was a former assistant coach here, and he said, you're going to meet just insane people that have been successful in so many different aspects of their lives. It's just not about finance or resources or money. Um, my wife and I go to a lot of Columbia functions, and we talk. And then you hear the stories about what people have accomplished in their lives, and we come back and we just go, "We're the most meaningless people in the world." <laughs> Everybody around us yeah. is like changing the world, and right. we're just kind of plodding along. And it's very, you know, this place can be intimidating sometimes yeah. because of the resources and this. You know, you just pick one of our student athletes and what they're majoring in and what they're. You know, there, there's a young man that played tennis here a few years ago that's in med school right now. And, you know, if I were a betting man, he's going to win a Nobel Prize someday. Mm -hmm. And so that's the type of people you see on a daily basis at Columbia that really inspire us to do what we're trying to do. One of my favorite stories recently, which I, I think I mentioned once before, is um, we, we did an event at the J School a couple of weeks ago, or about a month ago. And we walked in and there was a kid from, not from our program, but from somewhere else. He'd come in to hear the speaker speak and he said, Oh, is this the building that the guy with the prize? Is that the, the guy from the prize? Is that the, that's named after? And I said, yeah, well, that's Pulitzer. He goes <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the <laughs> He's the guy. Well, so. it's funny you say that because yeah. I, I, I say, too, you know, it would be great if our men's and women's basketball program got in the NCAA tournament and it would be a remarkable story. But a couple of weeks later, they're giving out the Pulitzer Prize. So, right. you know, you hear the term sometimes in college athletics that the athletic department's on the front porch. 
we're not on the front porch. We're on the porch. We want to contribute to the excellence, but there's so much excellence on the porch of this campus. We just want to be part of it. Peter, are the, are the challenges for incoming freshmen appreciably harder here than a, a typical large university where the academic rigor for athletes, is, you mean is less? For yeah. student-athletes. For student-athletes. Yeah. In other words, Columbia is doing the core curriculum, which I've heard it's quite challenging. Sure. Um, I'm sure it's a lot more challenging than most D1 uh, academic situ situations for athletes. So like is, Kentucky, it, is it typically there's, there's hard, comparisons. harder so, yeah. for Ivy League incoming freshman athlete, student athletes to deal with that the first few months? I don't believe so, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because if you look like, for example, I went to BYU undergraduate, and if you take student athletes that get admitted um, versus the average of the student athletes, there's a big gap. Whereas our student athletes, the floor of where we admit student athletes is still remarkable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's our student athletes come in with amazing academic uh, accomplishments in turn prior, whether it be AP courses or whether it be their test scores or their GPAs. So our floor academically is significantly higher than a lot of other schools. Do they have to work hard? Absolutely. You know, you talk about the core curriculum and all the requirements and all the different aspects of it, but that goes back to our success through well-being. We want to make sure that we support them, whether it be through tutors or all the different opportunities to make sure that they have the resources to be successful in the classroom. And, you know, last year we had uh, every one of our 31 teams had an average GPA of 3.0 or above. We had... I think 326 student athletes that were on the dean's list, and we had wow. 50. We had 50 plus student athletes um, that had 4.0 GPAs. And, and I'll brag on our men's tennis program, uh, who finished, you know, in the top 15 in the country, uh, and got to the final 16 and went up against Wake Forest. And they actually, had a, it was a great match. Wake Forest ended up winning the national championship. And our men's tennis team's GPA is, is a 3.76. And so here you have. It, it, you know, sometimes I, I feel it's like ridiculous. I, I, yeah, yeah. So. I'm intellectually over my skis here yeah, on a regular yeah. basis, but these kids are truly are remarkable in what they accomplish in all in multiple aspects of their lives. Right. And I, when I meet with recruits' parents, I always applaud them because they've raised a son or a daughter that's been able to be successful in different aspects and not just, hey, I got to play on the travel baseball team 120 days out of the year right. and I got to make sure I can hit a curveball because that's going to be my opportunity to get an education. Whereas the parents I meet with, it's like, okay, I want my I want my son to be great at baseball, but I also want him to be. I put an emphasis on, on the academics, and it, it's important that they have a you know a book reading program during the summer, and they're taking AP courses, and they're doing this and that, so that they're challenged academically simultaneously. So the the, the athletic success at Columbia has gone up exponentially in the last few years, no doubt about it. I mean, you just look at the numbers, the success on the mat, on the court, wherever it is. Um, how, what are some of the bigger challenges that you, now sitting here four years in, still have, or what's changed in the four years? And then I know, Tom, we want to talk a little bit about... The media side, yeah. The media side and the, and the <clears throat> going forward in esports and other things. But what, what are some of the, the biggest challenges, number one, and the biggest opportunities that you see going forward now that you've been here four years? Yeah, I think the, one of the biggest, uh, what, what uh, Dr. Murphy did before I came here was to get the Campbell Center built. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really believe it's the nicest facility in the Ivy League. And, and we really, talked about that. And for mm -hmm. people who have not been up there, yeah. it's it's unbelievably beautiful. You're right, absolutely. So. And if you uh, have an architectural mindset, it's it's a remarkable building uh, that was designed. And so uh, that really kind of set it off. And then it was interesting. I was with Coach Bagnoli early on, and he said, you know, we need a uh, indoor practice facility or seasonal air bubble. And... Um, 
and this was in a cab, and it ended up being a $10 million cab ride because we ended up having to get one. So, uh, we, But we, the seasonal air bubble, if you look at the success we had with our outdoor sports, where they have a chance between basically between November and March to practice indoor, whether it be baseball, the long throw, and softball, the hit, and all the different aspects, or football to continue to work out, lacrosse, field hockey, soccer. That really kind of raised the bar to the next level. And, and if you look at those sports, every single one of them last year was in the upper tier of the Ivy League as a result of just that com different component from a training standpoint. But, Joe, to your point, I think the most important thing that, you know, I, I, we need to do is, is bring in additional resources and to maintain this. Uh, we're at the lowest in the Ivy League in terms of athletic endowments. Mm. Um, I, the university, the uh, previous administration done a remarkable job building upon that. But I think from a, from a long-term aspect of it, that's going to be an important part of what we're trying to do to kind of maintain uh, the, the level that we want to achieve at. How is an athletic endowment used exactly? So it depends. If it's a program endowment around specific sport, you can the, the proceeds from that. So let's I've just use simple math. If it's a five million dollar endowment, typically it kicks out kicks out five percent annually. Mm -hmm. So you you have the capacity to spend the interest of the proceeds from that, and that two hundred fifty thousand then would go into the program to enhance what you're trying to do, whether it be you know, uh, more equipment or whether it be uh, additional. But more supplemental exactly. income to do, to, to go the extra step. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're not as susceptible okay. to what may have had happened with the stock market in 2008 right. or different things like that. You have more of a foundational component in terms of your fiscal responsibility. Um, and then from the department as a whole, you know, we're also looking for support. That I, I alluded to the success of well-being. We're trying to raise an endowment around that so that we can take this holistic approach to our student-athletes and make sure that we're there for them every step of the way in their journey. Can you apply those proceeds to personnel? Could you could you just throw more bodies against it, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or are you I mean, limited by the NCAA in terms certain... of number, numbers of uh, coaches and assistant coaches and yeah like that. certain sports have coaching capacity you know and I think that uh, we have a remarkable administrative staff here we can always add more bodies uh, we, we, we got to make sure that we you know for example the complexities of uh, liability issues we just added an additional trainer just from the standpoint of we pre mm -hmm. making sure we had proper coverage right. with all of our sports and you know there's in-season, there's out-of-season, there's post-season, there's all these different aspects, and these student-athletes are doing a lot of, uh, spending a lot of time in their respective sports, and we got to make sure that from a uh, sports training standpoint, from a strength and conditioning standpoint, so there's all, always areas that we think we can enhance and continue to grow. So let's talk, Tom, media rights, uh, not just here at Columbia, but Peter, especially given your background, would love to hear your opinion on where you think the media rights business is going, how it works at Columbia, and if we've got some time right, left, it's a new deal this, yeah. for 2018. Touch on that believe, magical so. esports topic that we want to touch on as well. <laughs> well so. It seems like once yeah. a week we're seeing a headline about another university yeah. adding it. But let's come to that second. Yeah. Talk about the change that you just went through with media and how it would be great to hear about the process. Right. So you're getting Absolutely. pitched by different players and right. stuff like that. Let's hear about it. So myself, Jack Hayes uh, from Brown, and Molly from Princeton, the athletic directors, the three of us worked with the Ivy League. We were on, we're on the media rights committee. And so uh, we went through the process of listening to all the different people that are interested. And, you know, we don't have necessarily the eyeballs that they may have in a, in a bigger high-profile conference, but we have something they don't have. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, we jokingly say that if you look at any Fortune 500 company, there's a... Uh, 100% chance that there's an Ivy League grad that's either playing a significant role in the leadership or on the board uh, for the particular company. So we know we have a lot of connections there, and then we also know that our student-athletes are uh, 
something that a lot of companies desire to have as an employees down the road. So we have something a little bit different and unique. And so we were just trying to maximize that along with trying to maximize the exposure. And, you know, if you look at digital rights and all the different aspects, you know, thinking back to when we were young, there were three channels and you turned it mm -hmm. on and you went to two, four, seven, and that was it. And those were your options. And there wasn't a DVR and there wasn't TiVo and there wasn't all these different aspects. There wasn't aspects. cable. Yeah, there right. wasn't cable. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget in college that big old cable box and you'd yeah. push the buttons oh, yeah. and then magically ESPN would come on. Uh, but from that standpoint, the simplicity now of watching games, and so we wanted to try to make sure that we provided any of our alums, any of our supporters, our parents, uh, any former student-athletes, the simplicity of watching our contest. Uh, I was with our women's uh, cross-country team at the NCAA, excuse me, NCAA championships last Saturday uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. They remarkable group of young ladies. They finished 18th in the country, and so I missed our last home football game, but at 35,000 feet, I was watching the, our game uh, against Cornell on my, on my iPad. Yeah, yeah. And so you just... On ESPN Plus? Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. So you just think about that. And uh, I got a little too loud at the end of the game, and the flight <laughs> attendant thought something was going on, so well, I had to calm was. her, you know. A record-setting kickoff return for a touchdown. Yeah, to absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you mm. think about that, whether you could be in... So you know Alaska, and you can pull on a Columbia tennis match. Pick right. a sport, and you can watch us compete. And so, you know, ESPN was a great partner, and obviously ESPN has a remarkable brand. We also wanted to make sure we had a linear component, so we have our football games on Friday night on ESPNU, and it's been w very well received. And you know, on Friday night, there's not as many games, so uh, it's remarkable the number of people that will reach out to you and tell you, hey, I watched your game on Friday night. Mm -hmm. And then basketball, we have a number of contests, both the men's and women's, and then, uh, you know, some of our other sports. Uh, we had a men's and women's soccer match on ESPNU this year. And then the ESPN Plus component, just the, the magnitude of the different sports you can watch. Um, and so we thought it was a great partnership, and we were excited to extend sure. that partnership. And the Financially, I think it's pretty good for us. You know, it's nothing crazy, but it's something that's going to pay a few additional more bills. And, and to me, the most important thing is provide opportunities for people to see our student athletes compete. So let's let's just go back, if you wouldn't mind, because this is really interesting. The, to the pitches, uh, I don't know if you're able to talk about suitors who came after you, but if you can, that would be great. If you can, I'd understand. But one of the big themes in the business. Uh, in terms of new distribution opportunities is the concept of reach versus revenue. Right. And it seems like a lot of properties, pro leagues, associations, colleges, are trying to straddle that fence. And it seems to have backfired in certain ways with certain properties. Mm -hmm. And I know in the conversations we've had on this podcast, in my class with guests in the industry that I'm in, um, it's a huge topic right now. So can you talk about that? Because ultimately, if someone's willing to deliver a check, and this is a timely question because the news that broke today, Joe, mm -hmm. that Amazon may bid for Fox's RSNs, Correct. a game potential game-changing deal in media. Ultimately, there's a lot. We know there's a lot of money out there mm -hmm. by certain of these legacy companies and tech companies. How did you balance that? vis-a-vis -vis the pitches you were getting. Yeah. Because so, I know ultimately someone's going to say to you, how much should you get for the deal? Right, right, right. It, you know, it's nothing, obviously a lot of these deals are public and ours is not, but it's nothing earth-shattering. But it's it, we thought it's significantly higher than we were before. Okay. So we saw that as an opportunity. And we just tried to balance this with the capacity for us to get as many sporting events on as we could. Right. Um, and then, you know, each individual school does a remarkable job on the production side. So we had, you know, whether it be CBS, 
digital or whether it be NBC had an interest or an ESPN and then some some other different aspects of some companies that thought that there was a digital component they they wanted they were interested in the Ivy League yeah. um, and so we listened and then we just tried to balance out what we thought was to some extent the linear piece you know there's an aspect of recruiting when you can tell a student athlete that they're going to be on ESPN that has some value still has a lot of value yeah. 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 And, four letters. and yeah. so that, that, that was something that we we considered from that aspect of it to try to obviously have our, our coaches have a you know leg up if you will from that aspect of it and then you know I, I, was, I was fascinated with knowing what we knew and the launching of the ESPN plus and how that we could be to some extent a little bit of a pioneer behind that right. and, and it's still you know a little you don't know. That's the you know whether we always had the conversation. Should we talk to Facebook? Should we talk to Amazon? Should we talk to Google? You know, and a lot of them at the time, whether YouTube, they hadn't really made the decision to venture into the sports industry, if you will. And it seems like, as you said, obviously more people are out there venturing. And mm -hmm. so that, that was just kind of that unique balance of trying to get something that was a little more established. Probably took a little bit more of a conservative approach and and tried to maintain it. And we weren't greedy pigs in terms of what we were right. trying to accomplish financially. And and uh, for the, out of the 31 sports, how many are accessible now through various digital channels? Literally every one. Now, not on a regular basis. I'm, I'm just looking at yeah. our, our, my board, the if wall. you can visualize the wall with all of our 31 sports. But, you know... Uh, They're in alphabetical we, order, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we had uh, a, a rowing regatta on, uh, you know, and so that, there's a lot of different opportunities all of our sports that we compete in our facilities, we we, sh we show, and we typically have talent that does play-by-play. -play. But you take a sport like tennis, where we have all six of our courts have cameras there, and so if, you know if I want to watch court four, I can turn on coach four, wow. court four and watch it. There's not necessarily a play-by-play -play person, but if that's a, a family friend or if I'm a parent or whatever, I can turn that on and then follow that particular sport. So I would say. You know, pretty much every sport at some point has had an opportunity to be uh, on television. So, so at the risk of over overplaying my point here or a question, if I'm interested in one of these sports as a parent or an alumnus, and I'm looking at, let me take a random example, um, women's lacrosse. Yes. How do I know where to find it? This is a complaint I hear from friends in our age group, yeah. from young people. It comes up in our class all the time that with this... Uh, newfangled distribution, just a lot of people fundamentally don't know where to actually find this, even though generally we read about headlines, ESPN Plus, or right, BR exactly. Live, or whatever. Yeah. So are you are you helping people Absolutely. discover this? Absolutely. So if okay. you were to go to our website, okay. if you were to look at our schedules, every every game is going to tell you what okay. time they start, but okay. it's also going to tell you where it's going to be broadcast. We also have an audio component, so if somebody wants to make it pretty simplistic, they can just listen to the game. Mm -hmm. a for lot free? Of it, yeah, for free. Okay. And then there's an ESPN Plus component, and they can Link it from there, and then also we we understood that because I'm probably in that you know higher demographic. I, I ESPN Plus to me was a little bit complicated mm -hmm. because they wanted to get you for the monthly rate, and right. I wanted to pay the annual rate. I wanted to say four dollars, so I, you know. Uh, but we have a, a FAQ, we have a walkthrough process. If you were to go to our website, it walks you through. And then we've done this literally. If our fans call and they don't know how to do it, somebody on our external team will get on the phone with them and walk them Good. through and okay. tell them cool. to do it. So that you know, it's that. that that Zappos customer service mindset. User experience. Yeah, yeah we, user experience. It, it comes down to that, as it always does. Yeah. Uh, in the last few minutes, we're, we're going to ask a couple we're, questions. We going esports now? Well, <laughs> just to talk, if, if you're looking forward, yeah. and you guys, I know, because we've had conversations about this, about esports and gaming and where it fits in the Ivy League or in colleges, 
Um, is it something that, that constantly comes up still? And do you have a kind of a feel for where that type of interactive gaming space is going to go? Because there are a lot of kids on campus. And I would play. suggest, Joe, other new sports, yep. native digital sports, drone yep. racing, Not, yep. I mean, that's not necessarily a great example, but there are new things coming that are attracting a lot of time and attention right. Gen Z. Yeah, absolutely. That this industry has to deal with. And I, and I will illustrate this. My children, all my kids were home for homecoming weekend, and uh, my son, two sons, were watching Twitch, mm-hmm. and they were watching and they were watching Doctor Dredge or something like that. And he was playing Fortnite, and they were watching him play. And I was fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Columbia grad, Christine uh, Savatori, I believe is her name. Mm-hmm. She's a uh, Columbia grad, and she works for Twitch. Oh. So I reached out to her. This will be a great future yeah, podcast for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 was, I was fascinated by Twitch and the, just the vision of what it could mm-hmm. be. So there's something there. The challenge right now, it's still a little bit of the wild, wild west. Yeah. What games do you allow? You know, mm-hmm. there's a violence factor in a right. lot of the games. Right. Um, there's gambling involved, you know, where do you do certain aspects of uh, what's going on, in particular the participants. And so I believe something's out there. I don't think anybody's cracked the code. I think everybody wants to be the first out west in terms of pitching their tent. I just don't think anybody's figured it out. Um, You know, I I had conversations about, you know, what do we need to do? And Joe and I have had these conversations Mm -hmm. about, Potentially, as we renovate Dodge to make sure that there's an esports presence, mm-hmm. if we look at yeah, something here, I think it's here. smart, yeah. and because something's going to come of that, and you know, you think more than just the esports too. You know, this campus needs a mindfulness aspect of it, and if we can provide an area where people can kind of relax and chill, then that's good. Also, with the number of international students yeah, on absolutely. campus, we're in other countries, mm-hmm. South Korea being a great example, well, many countries where esports could be considered, at least for young people, the number one sport yeah, in those countries. So there might be this expectation, even just recreationally, right. as you said. And I stumbled across play. drone weight, uh, drone racing the yeah. other day, yeah. and yeah. I was uh, it caught me for like 20 minutes. Yeah. I was mesmerized with these guys racing these drones. And there's so, some big investment capital yeah. behind that. But you, you think about that and the, the whole esports. And VR um, and AR, and where, yes. where they're going to factor into everything. Right, absolutely. And that's something, too, from that aspect, from a technological aspect that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, We're doing, we're working with the data scientists here at Columbia. I said there's probably some engineers who are Columbia grads who may have some kind of interest in Right, and so we're looking at this from an analytic standpoint, and how can we provide support for our students, whether it be stress management or whether it be performance analytics. And so we've had some, uh, we've had quite a few conversations with data scientists on this campus about getting involved with athletics on a couple different projects. Well, that's interesting. I don't know if you you guys read the news last week, I think it was, that USC just announced an esports initiative that's not going to be a varsity sport. It's going to be an esports union, I think they're calling student it. A- under student activities. Which but interestingly, Joe, it's not from the athletic department. No, right. It's coming from engineering and, and the media, mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge part of the USC mm-hmm. uh, academic system. Uh, so it will not be managed as an athletic, obviously, as an athletic uh, program. But apparently there's going to be some big money behind it, no surprise, and it'll be probably a test bed, I suspect, for inclusion at some point as a, D, as a major D1 athletic program. Right. Maybe five and, years and from I now, think three years from now. Because that's a key point is where, where is it ultimately going to land, whether right. it's going to land in club sports, whether it's going right. to land in collegiate, mm-hmm. intercollegiate sports, or whether it's going to land in, in student life. Right. Um, and so it'll land, so obviously there's a presence here already, and so where where is it kind of, 
compartmentalized to make sure that it's supported in the best way. Cool. Always interesting. Go yep. for the so, last so couple. So we like to ask um, all our guests two questions. They're pretty simple ones. One is, how do you stay constant with everything that is going on? Where do you get your information from? And then as these young people come in with their parents or even current or alumni, what's the advice that you give people who want to be involved in athletics? All right, so I'll take the first one. I actually have two apps that I, I am pretty religious to. One's called Flipboard. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure. fl Flipboard, you can you can kind of create some algorithms around it, and, mm -hmm. then, and then I'll put certain aspects, whether it be productivity or management or college sports or sports, you know, whatever it might be, and then I follow articles from there. Then I also have an app called Instapaper, mm -hmm. where I basically tuck all you of save your, I you save, save all articles, my ar right? articles, and then I can categorize them, and if I'm on a plane, then I can look up a particular area and I can pull down five or six articles that I had tucked away right. and then see what's out there. So right. that that's how I try to do it. And that's just try to read. I try to read. I don't read enough. You know, my wife thinks I spend too much time on Twitter. So I'm actually <laughs> contemplating. Goes. I was waiting for Twitter to come Yeah, up. yeah, no. I'm Who doesn't? I <laughs> actually am contemplating a Twitter fast. I'm going to try Ooh. to go. I'm going to try to avoid Twitter for 10 days. I was going to say 12 hours a day. and then Don't ask Joe for word. advice. No, no, no. Yeah, he yeah, went yeah. on a great vacation a few months ago, and he still couldn't help himself. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that, that's actually one. Th I, I noticed Bryce Harper. I don't know if you saw this. He took a social media fast Ooh. and was off social media for 10 days. Wow. And, and his batting average dropped. And he, still, <laughs> and he hasn't signed anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's funny you say that. Don't, let's not worry I, about Bryce Harper. Okay. I, I did a, I did a uh, digital detox for a week this summer on vacation. Uh, my family and it was awesome yeah um, because you know we're all so wired in now sure. to our devices and, and especially smartphones well, no i mean if if you use it as an information tool as yeah. we've often discussed on this podcast mm -hmm. it, it can be quite productive the, the challenge is not to let yourself get sucked into the yep. to the bad stuff and, and the distracting stuff yes yeah, so. absolutely no you're and then the second question you had is you know i I think we're very fortunate to be in a business where people love what they do and you're surrounded by people that have great passion for what they're doing. And so I always just remind people the importance of networking. Mm -hmm. I also talk about the importance of trying to get yourself involved and get as much experience as you can. Just get your feet wet. You know, I can literally remember my first assignment. I went into the business manager, BYU, and he put me in charge of the travel for the JV football team, and I had to make sure we ordered sack lunches and the bus. Mm. And that was it. And I'll never forget, that was my first assignment. Right. And But yet I, I was like a pig and slop. I thought, how cool is this? I'm in charge yeah. of the JV football travel. They're playing, you know, <laughs> Snow College down in the Ephraim, Utah. Uh, and so th those are the type of things. Get some experiences, look for opportunities, and then think about ways that you can make yourself invaluable, whether it be what you're doing or how you're doing it, to continue to look for opportunities to make yourself invaluable to the whole uh, and contribute and then uh, continue to grow. Cool. Excellent advice. And then the last question is, places where people can find Columbia Athletics and Peter Pilling on social media, where should people be following? We want to build. Well, a if you, if you really a slow his, day, follow me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Before I stop, <laughs> right. hurry. Obviously, uh, our Columbia Alliance. Uh, we're both. I think it's interesting. I meet with student athletes in this room right here on a regular basis, and I was kind of surprised that all of them are on Instagram and not all of them are on Twitter. Yeah. I was really kind of taken mm, back yeah. by that. So, uh, you know, Bob Stites and his team do a remarkable job in terms of our Instagram accounts and our Twitter accounts and Facebook. And then our official website, we just relaunched. We partnered up with Sidearm, and we launched a, a new app. So if you actually just go to the App Store and put in Columbia Athletics, you can pull down our app, and it, uh, it, you can really follow all of our sports in a, in a remarkable way, and it can link to audio and various other aspects Great. of following us, too. And then I, don't, I, 
I'm ashamed to say, I think mine is Pilling Peter, my Twitter account. They'll find you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's I, a pretty distinctive name. Yeah, exactly. So good. I think I have a grand total of uh, whatever number four. Quality. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Really. Tom? Wrap us up. Peter, thank you so much. Yeah, this uh, was awesome. You really, guys should come really by on a regular basis. Uh, we will. We'll come back. And, we said we uh, want to have the fencing coaches on. I think that's a fascinating story as to how they've gotten to where they are and built the culture there. So No, yeah. no I'm also, it, it mm. seems like five years ago, although I think it was two winters ago, we were doing a deep dive into the basketball yep. team. Megan. Yeah, yep. Megan mm -hmm. and Jim and yep. a bunch yeah. of the players. And starting to that was kind of fun. build the program. We were inspired by what WNYC had done with the football team. Yeah, absolutely. That? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you were involved. I was. That was here. It was that was a really good initiative. It, it was that was amazing the reach that that program yeah. had. Uh, yeah. I remember meeting people just randomly called the season, and uh, the, I don't like football, but I loved your podcast. Yeah. And so, uh, I applaud what you guys are doing. Great stories. You. Would you do that again, by the way? What's that? Like something like the oh, season? absolutely. And yeah. what was you guys are doing a lot of podcasts now? Too. Yeah, and mm -hmm. what was unique is the two gentlemen that did it. Mm -hmm. Um, didn't necessarily have a football background and didn't, they, they initially, I right, think. Right, that was actually a good angle, yeah, I thought. The, perfect, yeah, it was perfect. And, you know, think about Coach Bagnola, he's got a business mindset, so it, it mm. kind of flowed. But, you know, I'll never forget, I sat in when Bill Campbell was a guest, Oof, and uh, right. he asked him to turn the mics off, and then he talked about his relationship with Stephen Jobs. Yeah. And it, I remember that as long as I was. Oh, so sure. that, yeah, that didn't get captured. It, certain yeah. aspects of it, but Bill was very private about his relationships yeah. in Silicon Valley. And he, for a moment, he said, could you just turn the mics off? And then he talked about what Steve Jobs meant to him and yeah. his relationship with him. Well, I would say this as a final point. Um, you don't need WNYC to do stuff like that. Get some smart young people who like to produce media. Yeah, it's great shoulder mm -hmm. programming on top of all absolutely. the other good stuff you're doing. Yep. So just cool. food for thought. All right, well, Peter, thank you so much. You've been listening to Peter Pilling, the Director of Athletics for Columbia. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, Joe. Good show. Great show. Tom, thank you. Tom, sir. Excellent production work. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.